Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Hello and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and helping you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around you. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this inspirational journey, this illuminating journey. Um, uh, if you'd like to... Uh, Get on live, you can call 347-237-5230, 347-237-5230. That's the number to call if you'd like to get your thoughts, insights, two cents, four cents, six cents, a dollar, comments on the air. You can also follow us on all of our social media or Facebook. We are the Zero Network on Facebook. Go there, like that page, listen to archive shows, and you'll be able to enjoy everything from the last 10 or 11 years, however long we've been doing it, <laughs> we've had it on that platform. Also, follow us on Twitter. The show handle is at Zira Radio, at Zira Radio. My handle is at Lorenzo T. Neal. We invite you to join us on that. If you'd like to send us an email, get in touch with us, simply send it to ZeraPublishing at gmail.com. And we welcome that. Uh, wherever we are, wherever you are, we're glad that you are able to join us, follow us. You can listen to us on every uh, streaming platform, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, Apple, iTunes. We are on there, and we thank you so much for your support. If you haven't done so, I want to also take, you, take this time to invite you to become a patron of the show. Go to patreon.com. Slash Lorenzo T. Neal, and you'll see how you can support me for as little as a dollar a month. And appreciate you so much for all that you're doing. It's been a great day. It's been a great week. We've uh, had so much going on, and we weren't able to do so last week. We were honoring my nephew. As you know, my nephew was killed in 2016, and so we've been doing a annual event for him in Newport News, Hampton, Hampton Roads, Virginia, and uh, we were there last week celebrating his memory, honoring his life, and just uh, 
doing great things for the community with giveaways and food. And I was just glad to be there. And uh, so we're here this week. And boy, so much has happened this week. I, I didn't know where to start initially. I didn't know what <laughs> topic I was going to try to hit on because there's been so much that has happened just this week uh, in the last seven days. But uh, we're going to talk about Simone Biles uh, and what's going on with her. We're going to talk about um, the chaos in public schools regarding critical race and mass, uh, critical race theory and mass. And we're going to talk about vaccinations, particularly the black church and vaccinations. Where are we? What should we be doing? All of that. We're going to talk about that. Um, so I, I appreciate it. Uh, a couple other things I want to just pretty much touch on that um, caught my attention. Um, um, if you're not aware, I just wrote a post on the old black church. If you get a chance, go there and visit that blog site, blog site run by Miss Ann Brock. Um, I, I enjoy it very much um, visiting this blog and getting ideas from it, all of that. But anyway, there are two things that, that stood out on me to me about uh, on this on her site. One was uh, the Church of God in Christ is partnering with Facebook to uh, to use their streaming platform as a means of encouraging membership participation or engagement. Um, Basically, what the article says is that um, Bishop Peart, who is the new presiding prelate of the Church of God in Christ, has been taking advantage of this opportunity with Facebook partnering with making the virtual platform uh, a home, a virtual home for religious communities because a lot of times, you know, it would if you used to post, and we're not used to, but some people find stuff offensive. You know, people find stuff offensive all the time. But when it came to religious groups, it was, you know, you could be flagged for community violations and stuff like that, and, you know, outside the community guidelines. But anyway, since the pandemic and many churches have been using the Facebook platform, streaming platform, live platform, premiering videos, even our church has been doing that. They've been looking at the ways to use the church as a strategic investment by inviting uh, certain faith communities to um, open it up for those memberships, you know, those faith communities to utilize it to make money, basically to make money. They let, the, you know, um, it's opening up to where you can donate straight to the, the church or you can have particularly uh, strategic events, uh, subscriptions. Yeah, that's what it is, subscriptions. And I, now uh, I'm, I'm all for that. If it's going to benefit the church, I, I can understand that as an income stream. The question is whether it's an ethical one for the church, you know, and not ethical, I guess that's probably not the best thing. Uh, what does it look like? You know, 
there are some who are opponents of this, particularly within the Church of God in Christ, saying the bishop sheared. Uh, there are some who said that he paid his way into becoming the presiding uh, prelate of the Church of God in Christ. There are others said that um, the previous bishop, presiding bishop, Bishop Blake, uh, foresaw this and they were attempting to do this with him and he turned it down and Bishop Bishop Sheard is more millennial centered and all of that, you know, his imagery, of course, you know, he does have the fame of acquainted with his daughter and his wife and his son who's a, a, a wonderful producer. So, you know, that that attachment didn't hasn't hindered him. It probably actually helped him in his rise to the Episcopacy, you know, to the um, presiding Episcopacy. But it does raise a lot of questions, you know, regarding is this, you know, is this not so much ethical, but is it is it a good strategy? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I probably, uh, probably I can see the benefit of it. As, as I said before, I can definitely see the benefit of it. It's for small churches like mine, you know, churches that have less than 200 members, it is, it's a great benefit. Um, and, I, and I do know that some people will argue, well, why would you pay to watch a service stream? Or why would you do this? And, and I don't think it's a paying to watch the stream as much as paying to support. If you make it clear, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. If, if you clarify, hey, you're you're paying just like you're paying for Netflix, just like you're paying for Hulu. This is a specific service that you're getting, you know, um, because I know from my own experience, setting up a stream, a, a, a very effective stream is more than just having a camera, turning it on and plastic, pressing a button to go live. It, it's you know, a little bit more than that. And if your church is doing that, that's great. That's wonderful. It's more than most churches were doing uh, a year and a half, uh, two years ago. But now it's a little more, you know, it's a production. <laughs> and as much as I don't like, you know, I, I am the executive producer of my church broadcast. We had to have it copyrighted. We had to go through all of that stuff to own the exclusive rights to the stream. And that takes that takes money. And I know a lot of people don't. I didn't see it like that. <laughs> you know, I used to hag on uh, those televangelists with these big productions and all that. And now my my stream service tries to imitate <laughs> tries to imitate that. I want I want my members. You know, and we were doing this something like this in in our in-person worship, you know, when we got the projector and screen and people were able to interact, uh, that's what we wanted, you know, instead of just holding, you know, we're good Methodists, holding out hymn books and singing the hymns, looking down, you know, and not really being lively. We're now fully engaged, you know, you know, everybody could sit, look up, everybody's eyes were focused in the same place, you know, when it came to the sermon, the lighting was, was good. You know, when I first got to my church, we had the pulpit lamp. I don't know if y'all know about that. You know, the lighting wasn't, you, you had the pulpit lamp. <laughs> and, 
And so we, we, we were intentional about making sure that the lighting was good for not just for me, but for my guest preachers and all of that, um, that the centerpiece of the church, you know, the pulpit was focused. And same thing with the, uh, the altar and the, um, the, the um, altar rail and all that. Anyway, so, and we also stepped up, you know, how we engaged those participating in worship, you know, by helping them come in and exit in a way that was, it, you know, focusing them on worship and service. And so we do the same thing now. It's just in a virtual way. And that does count. That does cost. You know, we, we have to pay. You have to pay the streaming platform. You have to pay the, uh, the, the media persons who are going to be doing all this. Um, in my case, we pre-record and then stream live, which makes the, uh, you know, that process a little easier, but still costs. But anyway, um, <laughs> it, it's it's just interesting. But they've tried, uh, according to the, the article, they've tried this, they've tested it, and, uh, these tools to help it make money. And I, I think it's beneficial that members can give directly. Uh, even when I do my appeal, virtual appeal, you know, I give I as if we were in service, give them that opportunity to do so. Now, and I can't see it directly. I'm sure this tool offers them to see that directly as they give. And, you know, it's like if you do a YouTube live and you have the um, super chat where you can see as people are donating, you can see exactly what they're donating along with the comments they may be making while they're donating. I think that's a wonderful uh, thing. The subscription service, again, um, I don't know what it would be for, in, in case for a denomination, how how that would work. But I can see it working for a smaller congregation as to helping it develop extra revenue because you may, you're reaching a larger audience that may never come in person but they would subscribe, for example, you know, if you say uh, for this much you get access to Bible study or other stuff that exclusive to members, members only, literally. <laughs> it's a prize, it's hard. But anyway, I just found that interesting. Know your thoughts about that. Um, there's another story about my friend Jamal Bryant. Uh, I, I don't know what to make about this. But, you know, that's, that's the whole thing. But if you have the time, go check out, again, it's the Old Black Church, uh, blogspot.com. You can go there and read the officer articles and give your insight on that. Leave a comment, all of that. Having said all of that, um, let's get into this first story, Simone Biles. I I will admit I know very little about Simone Biles. I know that in the last Olympics she was the most awarded gymnast, medal gymnast, and as as of the day, I guess even right now she is the most decorated, most awarded. She's the world champion gymnast right now. But um, if you've been following the news, you know that over the last 
once the Olympics started last week and they the American gym team got in um, on her first event, she did not perform well. And everyone who was there present watching noticed it. They said that even as she made her, you know, she jumped off a platform, did whatever, but as she was doing her spins or whatever in the air, everyone noticed that something wasn't right. She wasn't focused. And she had a poor landing. And um, she left and came back with a trainer and said, look, not only did I have an injury, but I'm just not mentally there. I'm not mentally in the right place to perform, and I may be a greater hindrance than an asset to my team. And having to do, after, uh, recognizing that, I am withdrawing. And I commend her for that. She, 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 she understood that it's not about her; it's about the team. Her performance is only one many, and her self-care was more important than everything else. And there have been people who have been praising her for that and looking out for her, you know, her self-care and all of that. And, of course, there are people who are heavily criticizing her because of that. The very thing that she is looking out for herself, people are criticizing her for that. They're calling her unpatriotic. They're calling her a quitter. They're saying that um, she is is uh, what someone some some were saying that she was part of this participation generation that can't tough it out and quit at the first challenge and all of that. And I was like, Are you kidding me? You're talking about someone who is right now, at this very moment, still the greatest gymnast in the world. And when she recognized on her first attempt that she was not mentally there, she's like, I'm not here, I'm not there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to practice my mindfulness and get myself together because I'm just not here. And you got to commend her for that. And for those people who are critiquing them, which who are mostly, and this is sad to say, mostly uh, conservatives, black and white. And being that I identify as a conservative, I identify, y'all know it, I identify as center-right uh, for the most part. They are greatly belittling not only this young lady's talent, but the fact that she is, you know, bold enough to say, I can't do it. That's not a quitter. To me, that, that, that's actually a woman of great courage. And to also know that this, this you know, a uh, gymnast, you don't have a long career. You know, by the time you're 25, you're, that's the end of your career pretty much. You know, you don't go 30 years as a gymnast, you know, a professional gymnast might make it to 30 years, period, you know. But, you know, this is not like professional basketball, professional football, where the average career, you know, once you go through college, you may have an average career of five to six years, right? 
Well, I guess it's pretty much the same thing, you know. But the gymnasts start as young as, you're talking about as young as 12 and 13 years old. And by the time they're teenagers, you know, you're able to, 15, 16, you're able to be a world-class Olympian. Think about that. Before you even hit your adulthood, you could be a world-class Olympian. And by the time you're in your mid-20s, early to mid-20s, that's it. You know, you're unless you're an amazing gymnast like Ms. Biles is, you're going to be written off in history. Nobody's going to remember you. And it just, it just grieves me that even something as this, simple as her looking out for herself, is coming across as as all it is being come across as. And for those who say it's, she's patri- unpatriotic, and I heard one commentator say, you're supposed to perform for us. You're representing the USA. You know, I, I'm going to follow on the line of a lot of black commentators, mostly, who have who have made this distinction. That for generations... Black people have been performing for white people. We've been entertaining them. We've been uh, their athletes. And and think about this. Think about this. From just about 50 years ago, think, think about this now. Up until about 50 years ago, national football, no, I, I'd say 60, 60 years ago, the NFL and the NBA weren't as attractive until they started allowing more black players in. And definitely with college football, roughly 73 to 75% of college student athletes in the predominantly sports of the NCAA are black. And we're not talking about soccer. We're not talking about tennis. We're not talking about lacrosse. We're not talking about rugby. We're not talking even about golf or swimming or anything of that nature, or volleyball. We're talking about football, basketball, baseball. A play. And here in the South with the SEC, you know, (laughs) <laughs> that's even greater proportion. And when they do not perform to those standards or they're expected, if Alabama were to lose, they blame the coach. They also blame some of the players who happen to be majority black. Same answer, buddy. So when these commentators were saying that this is representational of the generalized view of black people and their role in entertaining roughly white people, you know, it it, it says a lot about the the division in our country, about perspectives of what is patriotic, what isn't patriotic. And and I'm going to talk about this in a little bit. Uh, regarding this whole COVID thing and vaccinations and all of that. But anyway, 
it, the problem, the the biggest problem that she is dare she dared to uh, look after herself, and you can't blame her for that. You really can't, because what she did and what she is doing is setting a great example about self care, and that is more important. You know, as much as uh, some of them want to admit it, it's more important that we put forth more effort for athletes to focus on their self-care. Now, I know it doesn't seem, it, it doesn't seem like it's important, but it really is. And it is something it is something that everyone should pay attention to. All right. Um, where am I? I got a lot going on here. I'm going to take a break, uh, and then I'm going to come back to – no, let's let's go ahead. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to go through this pretty quickly, and then I'll get to the, <laughs> the latter part of what I want to talk about. So – Public schools are in chaos. That's the headlines, you know. School districts, um, legislators, state legislatures are voting to not or to teach critical race theory. And if that wasn't enough for a fireball, now the issue of is that of students wearing masks in school. Uh, And I'm going to tell you this. I, being a former, being former public school teacher, educator, and uh, school administrator, as as a product of public schools, I, I'm going to be honest with you. Most kids didn't care about history. <laughs> Most kids did not care about history. I had a wonderful history teacher. I had several wonderful history teachers. And even the ones who did not specifically teach history in my junior high and high school were my history teachers because they told us not only the history that was in the book, but they told us the history that wasn't in the book that we they they knew that we needed to know. <laughs> you know? They went off the book, off the record, to get the, the words behind the words that were recorded in the book. You know. And when I <laughs> when I was a substitute teacher one one year, I never forget, I was a substitute teacher at Little Rock Central High School, and I had to sub history. And, man, when I tell you they didn't care, I spent half a semester trying to convince these students the value of this was history. And, and mind you, we were at an historic site. It was a historic – that's a national monument, national park. That school, 
And the kids didn't even value the fact that they were attending a historic school, much less care about the history, the subject of history itself. <laughs> so I so I was like, when I when I hear all these proponents or opponents of critical race theory and the ones who who particularly who are proponents saying teach the right history, teach history correct way, man, I'm, I'm telling you, the kids really don't care. They don't care. This is a this is a, this has been politicized beyond degree. And, and being an academic also, one of the things I I had to learn uh, was, you know, academics, you know, most of us who are in that field of academia, for the most part, we we were like, you know, this is just for our our thing. This is just for us to discuss, to write about in journals. To write about, um, you know, to argue about it, and, and conferences, you know, stuff like this. This is academic, and move from that to this this monstrosity of 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 a poor discussion on critical race theory, or, or you know, critical theory altogether. Not just critical race theory, but critical theories altogether, and to know that. You know, there are elements of Marxism in just about everything that we do as Americans. We can't escape it. There's elements of Marxism in Christianity if you, you know, if you find the right person to interpret it. There are elements of Marxism in, and uh, of course, in our healthcare, but. In the way our public schools are, matter of factly, our public schools are a communist, if you want to put it in a more stricter sense, that's the way it is. Because, you know, it's paid for and supported by the people, but it's a state operative. You know, it's, it's a function of the state. And it is the whole function of public schools is to teach children how to conform to the state. You go to school to learn how to get a profession for the state, for the benefit of the state. So even those of us who are conservatives and, you know, I have the ideas of all the other stuff, you know, that we have the ideals of, it's still for the benefit of the state. <laughs> so, I mean, it is what it is. This, act, you know, most people have no real idea, especially the legislators and the school boards and the people who are opponents and even the people who are proponents. They don't really understand what critical race theory is. What they understand is this modern ideation of what critical race theory has become. And this is largely because of what we've been experiencing over the last Seven years at the very least. Uh, I know I'll say, uh, going, I'll, I'll go back to 2012 with Trevon. Martin was killed, and that kind of gave way to what we now know as a Black Lives Matter movement. So, for at least the last nine years, 
we've been seeing this unraveling, this uncovering of Americana and, you know, the senseless uh, murders of any per- innocent persons, not just by law enforcement, but also by our own people, you know. And so this unraveling and this uncovering has has really, you know, had a, an impact on the perception of America by both blacks and whites, uh, progressive, liberals, conservatives, uh, uh, moderates, all of it. It, 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 is, it has had this, this effect on us. And instead of bringing us into a, a, a collective moment of mourning, and repentance and all of this stuff, you know, reconciliation and all of that, instead of bringing us into a collective moment of it, it is further dividing us, largely because some white people just feel that this is attacking them, you know, by by further exploring the depth of the the reality of American history, that it is taking away from the... American history has been taught. And like I said, I went to an all-black school all the way up to college <laughs> in an HBCU. And what was in American history books was not always <laughs> the experience of a lot of black Americans. And so the way this teaching of critical race theory is being implied in the general populace is one that is um, preferably preferring one race over another, encouraging one race to be racist toward another or discriminatory towards another, encouraging one race to be more uh, self-hating. And that is not the case. And I hate that the media and misinformation, disinformation that's happening is bringing about this. But we can do better. Anyway, so do I believe critical race theory should be taught in public schools? I believe, <laughs> plain and simple, it, it needs to be a component. I mean, when I was growing up, they only had maybe one chapter. And I'm here in this, you know, I grew up in the South, in Louisiana. <laughs> They only had one chapter that talked about slavery, as I can recall, in history books, and it was slightly favorable. It painted the slaves in a good way, you know, and same thing, you know, we go around these plantations, visit them, and hear the stories of how the slaves were and how happy they were. (laughs) Even though Roots had been out by the Roots had been out, and they were still trying to take the slaves in this, uh, this happy way. Critical race theory, in its current, in its current form, should not be taught. Uh, is as is divisive as it is, but it can be integrated into the broader Congress conversation, American history, and I think that's what they're trying to accomplish. And I think it's just a, a going about it the wrong way. Um, there is there is much that needs to be addressed, you know, regarding American history. 
in uh, critical race theory or critical theory in particular uh, is a good way of helping us have those conversations. Now, those conversations shouldn't be taking up <laughs> class learning time. You know, you don't spend half a semester talking about it. And I think that's some of the mis- misleading information that uh, those who are opponents have about it, that people are going to be spending the entire school year talking about this or integrating it into different things. Listen, um, as a band director, I had to integrate all subject matters into my teaching. Now, I was just a band director, but I had to integrate I had to integrate history, technology, science, uh, English language arts, all of that. I had to integrate, and it had to be in my lesson plan. And I had to meet these particular benchmarks with it. But I didn't spend, <laughs> I didn't spend a whole semester, especially during marching band season, I wasn't spending a whole semester talking about, you know, black composers, even though. Now, in the springtime, I did because there was a lot of them I wanted to introduce, like William Grant Steele and many others. I wanted to introduce them to it. So I spent a little bit more time doing that. But, you know, I didn't spend a whole time. I wanted you to learn. We still had performance goals that we had to meet. So I, I think it should be taught. There's a way that you can teach it without it, you know, doing any serious emotional damage to both black and white students. Um, and I, as I said, you know, most students don't care about it. And most of the teachers who are likely going to be teaching this, uh, for the most part, are young. And they still have the rose-colored glasses on. They haven't lived long enough to really, and, and yeah, they may still have that sense of activism and engaging and, you know, we're going to right this injustice till they see their paycheck. <laughs> till they see their paycheck, and then they'll be like, nah, this is not really worth it. Let me find an occupation where I can make more money. Let me find an occupation where I can actually, this is not my degree anyway. I, I didn't get a degree in education. I, I'm just filling time. I need this. I need that. I'm going to work my way up. <laughs> and I don't know why we don't see the broader picture when it comes to that. But anyway, uh, there's a place for critical race theory in public education. And it ain't just for the students. I believe adults need to learn this too. Probably the adults need need it more than the students do. They'll have a greater appreciation. You know, the students, these students these days, even though our school, public schools are becoming, especially in the urban areas, are becoming more segregated, um, these students will have a greater sense of appreciation for the diversity that they live in, that they have, than (laughs) anything else. You know, those of us who grew up in the 70s and 80s, even though we had diversity, it was we also understood there was closeted lives, that stuff that you just didn't talk about, and we were cool with it. <laughs> and I think some people just want to go back to that way. <laughs> anyway, 
so that's one thing. And the last thing is about masks in school. And I, I, I didn't intend to talk this long on, on uh, the school thing. But masks in school, we have the data that's showing what variations from the alpha variation to now the delta variations have been impactful on younger people. You know, school-age children. Still, school-age children under 12 are not allowed to get the vaccination just yet. But 12 and older, 16 and older, are able to get the vaccination. Um, I think it should be left up to the local school board. I don't think uh, state board of education should be deciding that. I definitely think don't think the federal education department of education should be deciding that. But local school districts, and even even more so, local school administrators should be able to decide that. They know their students better than anything. You know, in kids, especially in the lower middle, uh, lower elementary grades, and even upper middle elementary grades. You know, I'll just say from pre-K to five. You know, they're susceptible to sickness. I tell you, when I was teaching at the, when I, when I went into administration, school administration, I followed my middle school principal. I followed her to the elementary level and shadowed her, and eventually began to work with her and the capacity as a school administrator. And I tell you, I was sick more times <laughs> as an elementary, <laughs> at the elementary level. Because those kids, man, they just love you. They hug on you, Mr. Neal, can I get a hug? And I'm like, stay away from me. <laughs> but I love them. And some of them I still stay in touch with to this day. But it's just the fact you know, the Delta variant is 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 making its way, and there's still data being compilated, computated, and all that to see what effect it has. We do know that wearing masks was an effective means of prevention, and that's that's good. You know, we know that the data. Well, let me let me backtrack that. <laughs> we we didn't exactly know, but it was strongly recommended that uh, or or understood that this was a mask wearing was a way of prevention. You know, early on they were saying you don't have to wear masks. Then later on they're saying wear masks, and then they got real bold, say uh, double and triple up on your mask. And now after vaccination, you know. We're learning that people are still catching COVID even after being vaccinated. So leave it up to the local administrations, you know, school districts and uh, principals to let them determine. Um, I, I don't you know. Kids these days really don't have much to do at school, they, you know, outside of athletics and marching band. There's not much else to do. You don't get playtime. Even when I was in high school, we had a little we had a little time out out of you know out out of class in between lunch periods. We called it PA. You got 15 minutes. It was like a recess in high school. You still got to if you had a car, you could go off campus get you some churches. <laughs> we had this place called S and S. Go get you a snow cone. Get you some candy. Uh, 
But uh, it, 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 I don't know why we as parents, and I'm not a parent, but I'm, I'm speaking as if I'm one, are so oppositional when it comes to what may be in the best interests of our children. The kids, they're going to rebel anyway. They'll go to, you know, you, you'll send them to school with a mask, they'll take it off. <laughs> they'll wear it when they, don't want to, when they want to wear it, you know. And if you're sitting in a class, especially if you're in uh, post-secondary school, you know, you're, you're sitting in a class for upward to 45 minutes with the same mask on. Yeah, it, it can be something. But anyway, I think the local school districts are the best means of determining if they should do it. It's we, we're still learning this this virus, both all variants. We're still learning, and I'm always on the side of prevention, proactivity, you know, being proactive. That's that's all we can do, and that's the best thing we should do. Anyway, let me take this quick break. When we come back from the break, we're going to be talking about uh, the church and the cost of the non-vaccinated. We'll be right back. find it hard to believe, but at one point in your life, you're going to need access to reliable legal services. Legal issues can be confusing, complicated, and even a bit embarrassing. That's why I joined the family at Legal Shield. Legal Shield offers the most affordable, comprehensive legal coverage available. And for a small monthly fee, I have access to Legal Shield's personal plan that includes attorneys who will represent me and provide me advice, even draft and review documents on my behalf. Not only do they provide excellent legal service, but with their ID Shield, I'm also guaranteed protection from all fraud, including identity theft protection. Did I mention to you, I have so many perks and benefits that come with being a member of Legal Shield. Yeah, they pretty much cover the plan by itself. For the last 45 years, Americans have trusted Legal Shield for all their legal needs, and I'm glad that I've joined them. So give them a call. Visit their website, www.legalshield.com. I'm telling you, you will be glad that you did. So if you're not aware, I am a very, very curious person. I'm always trying to learn new things. And um, so I recently learned about Skillshare, and it's opened up so many doors for me on learning how to be a better creative person. I've learned, I've taken classes on uh, creative writing, on my podcasting, on my YouTube videos, all of that. It has come in handy. And I would strongly recommend you, if you are trying to improve on any skill that you have and you want to go from being a hobby to uh, make it a pro, <laughs> I, I, I want to invite you to go to Skillshare.com. 
Uh, Skillshare.com is where you can go to learn all kinds of things. They have workshops on everything that you can imagine, photography, videography, uh, writing, anything that you can think of, you can find it on Skillshare. So, And I'm telling you, you're going you're gonna to really love it. It's, it's worth it. Every single moment, every single class, and you'll you'll love it. You'll greatly greatly enjoy it. Go check it out. Skillshare.com/slash/zero-today-radio. Back to zero today. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal. We just closed out this section, this segment regarding mom bows and uh, public schools, vaccinations and masks, all that stuff. Yeah, we talked about that. And um, if you haven't done so, make sure that you go to the Zero Network on Facebook, like that page, listen to archive shows. We appreciate you so much. Um, and also. If you haven't done so, we want to invite you to go to Patreon. Become a patron for as little as a dollar a month. Go to patreon.com slash Lorenzo T. Neal. Join up any tier. We're grateful for it. All that you do to help us support this show, we are grateful. We're grateful for grateful. We're grateful. And remember, it's available on every streaming platform, including Spotify. (laughs) So download to us. Listen to us. Oh, yeah, it's on Apple Podcasts, too. Appreciate it. Anyway, so I'm going to close out this with this little uh, the show today talking about vaccination. Now, we've mentioned that the Delta strain of the virus is now becoming the dominant strain. And, and as reports come out, it seems that the persons who are contracted this particular strain happen to be unvaccinated. That's that's the initial report. That's what's being reported uh, in large segments of the country. Alabama governor uh, went on record saying, listen, if y'all think we're about to go back into uh, anything, 
blame the unvaccinated people. Even Senator uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has gone on record saying uh, you need to get vaccinated. Now, a lot of the pushback of vaccinations are stemming from misinformation, disinformation, and Mitch McConnell has gone on record saying, hey, we got the, we have the right information, and those, especially those who are Trump supporters, should be willing to get the vaccination because it was President Trump who initiated and got the funding, you know, with his operation, um, whatever it was called, I forgot. But, you know, got to credit President Trump for getting this vaccination thing out to the public. And even before he was impeached again, it was one of the things that he was trying to promote and trying to encourage. And before he left his presidency, it was out. And people were getting vaccinated. Um, And a lot of distrust for vaccination among the black communities, communities of colors, is, of course, goes back to this history of America. You know, the fact that blacks have been mistreated when it came to uh, medical issues, unethical uh, uh, practices of of medical uh, research. And so that's still embedded in our memory. And so a lot of black people just don't trust it. So there was an effort um, earlier this year to get churches involved and not just churches, but influencers, black influencers involved in spreading the word about uh, the efficacy of the vaccine. Now, I am fully vaccinated. I, I did so because of my own personal health concerns and realizing, you know, as a COVID survivor, also knowing that I'm prone to this stuff. I, you know, I looked out in my best interest. We, our church was going to host a vaccination drive for the Johnson Johnson vaccine. And when that came out, how messed up it was. Again, that contributed to this distrust of the vaccination. And so even as a pastor, I'm reluctant, and I'm going on record to say this, I'm reluctant to host another vaccination event. That's just me because, you know, of our history, of trying to host one, and particularly with this vaccination. Um. So how 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 do we deal with this? How does what's the right approach for the black church to breach the black community with the message for the need of vaccination? The argument from a lot of people are making is, well, you know, there's such a high survival rate. You have like a ninety seven, ninety eight percent survival rate of COVID. And even those who have been vaccinated we're learning that they are getting, still getting the strain. Matter of fact, high-profile pastors like um, what's this pastor name? Uh, goodness gracious! Uh, la, 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 la. Max Lucado, thank you. Max Lucado, uh, and I saw this story in the Christian Post. If you can go there, ChristianPost.com. He he tested positive for COVID-19 despite having been vaccinated for COVID-19. And, and there are some who who have passed away, who succumbed, succumbed to this Delta variant of COVID after having received the COVID-19 
And then there are those who, um, like one pastor, Locke, and um can't think of his, Greg Locke, I think his name is, is like, hey, don't come to our church. Don't come to our church if you talking about getting vaccinated. Don't come to our church if you have been vaccinated. We don't want you. Matter of fact, going back to the article, one article in the old black church that is saying, according to the Wall Street Journal, that white evangelicals are resisting. They're the most resistant among all religious groups. They're the most resistant to the vaccine. Why? Because patriotism. Patriotism. Uh, There are people who are believing and claiming that this is all a hoax and all of this. And one pastor uh, who had has now was, was hospitalized uh, for COVID-19 and refused to get vaccinated, saying, I was wrong. I should have got vaccinated. I'm encouraging pastors. I'm encouraging people get vaccinated. This is white. For black folk, it's even more trust testing. You know, not, not only do we, you know, we don't want to believe not, it's not that we don't want to believe fact, but the history connected with facts sometimes works against us, and we know that. And there's a bias when it comes to that historical factor of medical research and medical adaptation of said research that is just not favorable towards us historically. And when Historically, when we saw black pastors affirming certain things, certain practices, certain things, you know, we were like, oh, they paying y'all, huh? They got y'all in the pocket, which is in the case, yes. There are some financial incentives being offered by uh, organizations to pastors, black pastors and black community leaders to encourage people to get vaccinated. And that's a great that's that does more to discourage because like how can we trust you if they paying you? They paying you to tell us that. You don't know what's in there. But from my own personal experience, you know, because I pastor a lot of uh, I pastor individuals who are seniors who have health issues and going myself, my own health issues, is is critical that we do all we can to be proactive. Vaccination is one of that. But, you know, I don't think we should, there was this commute, uh, this commercial or this video by Juvenile backs that thing up. Those of you who don't know what compares, y'all, y'all miss out on it. But, you know, that was one way to get my generation, my age group, you know, get, get vaccinated for <laughs> 99, 2000. 2020, 2021, get vaccinated. Backs that thing up. But again, we really need to see the efficacy of the virus, of the anti, I'm sorry, not the virus, but the efficacy of the vaccination before we are fully ingrained into participating in getting vaccination. And when I got vaccinated, you know, I had the very mild symptoms. There are others who had some some severe reactions to it. We don't know it's individual. So you can't say generally 
can't say this is going to be the same effect down the line generally. No, every individual is different. Every individual have a a different reaction to it. But um, just from the the data and empirical studies and research, case studies and all that, it's safe. We know it. So we have to do more. And besides, my church, we are still virtual. We're not going back in (laughs) for a minute. Every time I try... To you know, we've been uh, having an opportunity to go back in. You know, this virus comes up, and I don't know if it's constructed in such a way to do so. And by constructed, I'm talking about you know some some evil conspiracy manipulating all of this. I don't know, <laughs> but what I do know is that for for the betterment of our communities, we need to be at least be more proactive and encouraging people. To say, yes, we know there's a high survival rate for this thing, but just because that is one factor, still consider getting vaccinated. It's not going to hurt you. And I may come under fire for this, but, you know, I I believe it's, it's, it's beneficial. It's more helpful than harmful, and it's not going to take away your patriotism. For those of you who are adherents to that, slant of this protest it's not it's not prohibiting you from being a better patriot maybe making you a better patriot because of it but for whatever reasons i strongly encourage you to do it anyway that's my time i love to hear from you guys um leave me an email pastorlorenzoneal at gmail.com we'd like to uh i want to encourage you to visit my website lorenzotineal.com get a copy of my my book especially my latest book Reflections from the pastor study. We're about to do a rollout about rollout with that. We have some other books that are coming up the pipeline, and uh, we'll let you know as we get closer to completion with those. But anyway, make sure you follow me on all my social media. Check us out wherever you can. We appreciate it. We got to get out of here. Thank you so much, and you guys have a great rest of the day. And I am out of here. I'm a, 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 I'm a